Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Daniel Pauter is a Canadian musician and songwriter. He's best known for his self-penned hit song, Bad Day, which was top of the Billboard Hot 100 for five weeks in 2005. Daniel has won numerous awards, namely Billboard Music Awards, BMI Pop Awards, Canadian Radio Music Awards, Juno Awards, and he has been nominated for MTV Europe Music Awards, Brit Awards, Grammy Awards, amongst many others. Daniel consistently writes and releases new music for himself and other artists. Up next on Celebs Vint, We've got Daniel Pauter. Where do we find you in the world? What's happening in your life and how are you doing? Oh man, what a great series of questions all at once. I'm in Oregon. I'm in a place called Lake Oswego, which is right outside of Portland, about 15 minutes. Spent 25 years plus in LA and recently over the last year decided that I needed to get a different perspective. And so I moved up here. I am still uh, with two young kids, so I still am chasing them around. And outside of that, uh, I'm just writing songs. I'm starting uh, up some new projects now with some other talented artists. I would say that in the last three or four years, I've kind of pulled back a lot as far as industry stuff is concerned. But I'm still doing a lot of things. You know, okay. I just, just not so deeply involved like a lot of my friends are. Okay, so let's rewind. Let's take it all the way back. Yeah. So the Daniel Powter musical entertainment journey. What At right. what age were you invigorated and motivated to get into music and the long version or the hybrid version of your story? <laughs> I think from a really early age, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times from other artists, that music resonated with me in an auditory way that's maybe different than what maybe other people experience that aren't maybe as interested in music. As a child, I was really dyslexic. So I had a lot of learning disabilities. I had a lot of problems. Uh, I'm sure I had ADHD like everybody has now. Um, wasn't diagnosed with that, but uh, I had a really difficult time in school. My mom had this very Montessori sort of approach. In In, in other words, she found what resonated with me and she was a concert pianist. And so at the age of four, she got me a violin. And kind of at that point, I realized that this was going to be a, a, a significant part of my life. It, it gave me so much confidence where I'd lost so much confidence, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think where I suffered and maybe scholastically and in schools, I more than made up for being home and working on music. After a while, and this will just show you how old I am, we had a, a record player. Yes. And she would play me Fleetwood Mac, Billy Joel, Elton John. And when I was five, I could listen to the song and then I could get on the piano, which I didn't know how to play it very well, but I could play it back. And that's when she realized, okay, let's keep this I don't think she ever in her wildest dreams would have wanted me to have a career in music, but it was definitely something that helped. I decided I, I wanted to at least educate myself in a little bit more than just the basic theory of music. I, I'm not that musical in the sense of like, I don't really understand music as, as say, or am I that great of a player by any, by any means, but I wanted to sort of understand the history of music a little bit more. So I ended up going to college 
I lasted two years and I dropped out. I just didn't, it didn't resonate with me. I just felt like it was, I felt like music school, for example, was really, I felt like I was in a box all the time and I wanted to explore all these different ideas. And, and from that point, I ended up moving to Vancouver. I started playing like these local gigs. I was terrible. I was up at this place called the railway club. And I can remember distinctly getting booed off the stage. And it was so humiliating, but I was trying out material. So we call that in the music terms, we call that shedding. Okay. And that's where you learn your craft. That's where you learn how to be in front of an audience and have banter and patter and all sorts of things and how to space your songs out. It was a disaster from day one. And the second week I went up there, it was a little bit less of a disaster, but still a disaster. And I just kept going. And I don't know what was wrong with me. I feel like I think I was delusional. I think I was delusional as an artist. I thought like, I'm going to be great. But for some reason, I kept going back and taking my punishment and my poison. And finally, the owner of the club, the railway club came up to me after one of the sets, because it was an open mic, like anybody could go. Yes. And he said, listen, you got to figure something out because, you know, I'm losing customers when you're going up on stage, people are leaving. So I decided to take a hiatus. And one of the guys that was a gentleman that was in the audience was a producer or a a wannabe coming up producer. When I, when I came off the stage, he said to me, listen, I know you're struggling, but there's something there that I feel like I could work with you on. And I said, great. And we, for two years in his apartment, we studied and together and, and, and worked together and learned the craft of songwriting. And the result of those two years, and by the way, having tons of fun, drinking, girls, drugs, the whole nine yards, all the bad stuff, all involved. But at the end of those two years, that's the bad day record that came out. And that was the actual, that was the actual record that was released. So I went from playing on this small little stage being booed off to meeting this great guy named Jeff Dawson and who was in the audience. And together we crafted the first record. And that's kind of how I got launched into the music business. And between that period and now, how how things been going over the last yeah. 15 years or 16 years? I don't think I was ever prepared. And I don't think a lot of people are or for what happened when that record came out. And I I mean, I went through it for maybe six, seven years touring that record. I mean, it was just nonstop. I'm grateful for what happened in the sense, like I have a lot of gratitude, but at the same time, it's, I I say this to people all the time, even some younger artists that I'll work with, it's like, you never really know if you want to be in the spotlight until you're in the spotlight, then, you know, then you find out. And honestly, it just didn't resonate with me. So I think one of the things that was really hard is I had this sort of love-hate relationship, you know, in the sense that I loved what I was doing musically, but I hated the industry, had a hard time trusting people in this industry. I was let down. I was lied to. And as I was moving further and further with promotion, I found that what was 50-50, music and promotion are two different things. I wanted to go out and play music. The record label needed promotion. And then it became more and more about promotion and less and less about music. So therein lied the problem because I became incredibly depressed. So traveling the world and and being in beautiful hotels and on, you know, private planes, it, it was just really difficult because I wasn't doing what I really loved to do, which was to play. And um, I think maybe with probably as maybe say 
doing that, making records, I felt like I needed to sort of like reset and yeah. kind of withdraw from it and start doing things that I love to do and started writing songs for other artists and really felt like I had the freedom to sort of just be who I wanted to be. I made the record labels gazillions of dollars. I don't feel like I owed them anything else. And uh, when we parted ways, I felt like, wow, what a, I have a new lease. I have a new opportunity. I can do new things. I can write songs. Like when you're writing pop songs, you really have to be in a very small, like, again, I'll say it, the word, a box. Yes. You, there, there are certain rules. There's mm-hmm. certain rules to like writing pop songs. There's strict rules on writing country music. Can't go outside of those parameters. Like I can't write, like I'm here at the piano right now. I can't, I can't do this chord, that rub. Like I want to do that. I want to play that seven chord. Right. And yeah. I, I can't in pop music, but if I play it, So all of a sudden, like what was strictly pop becomes this labyrinth of Mm. of sounds that I can incorporate back into what made me really happy, which in songwriting. And maybe that might work at in a Broadway, it might work as a ballad, it might, but it gave me this this whole new it it opened up the box. And all of a sudden, where bad day and you know, Free Loop and Jimmy and all these songs. I felt like I I pushed it. I pushed the, the the limits as far as I could push them. And then the music business, as it changed more and more, I thought became to me more and more homogenized, right? More and more really basic and 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 nothing really happening. And so I started moving out of that and into these this world. It made me so much happier. Now, mind you, it, none of these songs will probably ever go anywhere because they, <laughs> it still makes me happy. Yeah. You know? Okay, so there are a lot of questions to unpack. When you're writing for songs for yourself compared to for other artists, do you find it easier writing for yourself for others or is it easier to write for others compared to yourself because you opening up that box? Explain the difference. I think... When you're writing for other people, um, other artists, depending on their level of talent. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've written for people that are more like into TikTok and Instagram and really don't write at all. And that's much more difficult. But when you get somebody like, for example, Patricia Kelly, or just did some, a, a, a track with this guy from Germany called Cornelius Curon, who's incredibly talented. They have so much to say. They know what they want. They are bringing me along and I'm just maybe helping them, you know, adding a little bit here or there. What about this idea? When I'm writing for artists like that, for example, that's really fulfilling and and gratifying for me because I'm I'm collaborating with the artist, (laughs) the opposite, which is a TikTok star or something, because they're not really interested in any of it. It's more about their profile. The difference between writing for another artist and myself is they have, a, they know their audience and they know what they need and they know what they want. And I don't really know my audience. I, 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 am grateful and I, I have so much love for what I get from them, but I don't, I never really try to understand what they were gravitating towards. And I think that gave me sort of this much more schizophrenic sort of bipolar way of writing music. And so for me, when I'm writing by, for myself is, I don't think about the audience as okay. much as I just, my, my idea is 
I want to make this really feel good for me. And I hope it resonates with you. But if it doesn't, that's okay. You know, I mean, when you look at the biggest pop artists in the world, everything they do, every song they write, everything they say is for their audience. And they have algorithms and they have publicists. They're so invested in, in holding on to an audience. Whereas I'm, I just want to write songs that I like and I hope you like them too. And that's it. And that makes it so much easier. You mentioned as a child that you listened or heard music as an audio. Right. So I'm not sure if you're aware, if you are aware of NLP, neurolinguistic programming, that people are either auditory, kinesthetic or visual. Yeah. So when you listen to music by other artists or yourself, when you hear that piece of art or piece of instrumentation or energy, whatever you want to call it, what is your process and how do you hear that? I'm, I'm immediately breaking down the instrumentation from the moment that it starts. So okay. in other words, I can already hear a bass line, mm-hmm. a loop or a drum beat, a guitar riff and a piano part all separately from the track instead of hearing it all at once. So I can come to the piano right away as it's playing and I can actually... I can already break the parts down yes. as sort of like, almost like as if you're taking apart a car, taking the tires off, you're taking the engine out, you're taking the seats out. So whenever I hear songs, um, I'm hearing it as a whole, but also every instrument separated at the same time. So it's, it's kind of a strange thing to explain, but it's, yes. and it's, sort of, it's sort of a little bit annoying for me sometimes because I might not agree with some of the parts. So I, I don't want to discard the song, but I'll yeah. be like, but my, my wife will be in the car with me and she's a huge country fan. And I'll be like, why did they use that baseline? She's like, what are you talking about? That baseline doesn't work. It's like he's playing the root instead of playing the third. He should be playing this note. This yeah. doesn't work. So I can become incredibly annoying to listen to music with. And I think my ear just picks up everything that's going on all at the same time. And so but, sometimes it can be incredibly gratifying. Yes. And sometimes it can be incredibly annoying. Yeah. So do you also hear the words clearly? Or do you have to focus your attention on the words in order to hear them? The song to me has always been about the melodies. And I think that comes from being exposed to so much art as a child. You know, I went to the Met. I was at symphonies, concerts, ballets. My mom took me everywhere. I was so blessed. Took me to New York, took me to Seattle, took me to Vancouver. And constantly, uh, whether it was a pop concert, a rock concert, or seeing Prince or seeing uh, Itzhak Perlman or whatever it was. So it was always about the music to me. Now, you need a great lyric, obviously. But if the melodies aren't there for me, it's like, I, I don't care if you're, you know, who you are. I mean, or you could be Hemingway, or you could be Miller, you could be like, if it's not, the melodies aren't there, then it doesn't really resonate with me. But the words definitely, I'm as I'm getting to be more and more of a veteran songwriter or somebody who's been doing it, it does become, I see the, the importance of it. I mean, if you listen to the words in my first, the lyrics in my first record, they don't make any sense. They're just a bunch of words. And I wrote those phonetically. So what I would do is I would write the song, like say Jimmy gets high and I would just mumble words like, and then I would write the lyrics that sound like those sounds. Okay. So they make absolutely no sense. You know, I'll get a fan that'll say, oh, I love the lyric on this. I'm like, I don't know what it means. So I love me a CD. 
And I've got your CDs in my collection. I was actually just on Amazon now to just put the ones that I haven't gotten of yours in my collection to get them. But I love my CD. I love the booklets. I love the images. I love the thank yous. For me, it's an energetic exchange to say thank you to you guys for all the hard work you do. Yeah. Vinyls, cassettes, and CDs are all making, they're making a massive comeback. Yeah, I didn't know that. That makes me so happy. So just to make you very excited, in the UK alone last year, there were 5.5 million vinyls sold, the biggest since 1990. A couple wow. of years ago, t- uh, first time in 21 years, increase of CD sales. So I'm very excited about that as well. But then we have these digital streaming platforms that people uh, are consuming music on now. Yeah. What is your perception of the physical compared to the digital? You know, I think for me, there was a time and, and a space where record labels and A&R reps would go out and find incredibly talented artists, whatever genre that might be. You know, with Atlantic starting with jazz or Warner with their incredibly rich history of signing the best of the best at the time. And I kind of felt like these incredible, um, like... A&R, the, the, the presidents, the CEOs, all of these incredibly talented, wonderful lovers of music were like the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And they would be the ones that decided because they were all in as, as, as one would, were, had such incredible abilities to see the future of music and where the greatest artists were. Mo Austin is a perfect example at Warner who signed everything like from Fleetwood Mac down to Madonna, down to, he found this talent and knew where the talent was and, and was able to expose that. Clive Davis was the same person. They were the gatekeepers. With streaming, the, the kind of the gatekeepers have gone away so that everyone and every, everything can come out on, on the platform. I think I've heard there's something like 80,000 new songs every week. I right? heard it's every day. Oh, you might be right. Which is more frightening, right? And so there's no way of, there's no bar. There's no like where, so everyone gets lost now, Yes. right? I mean, I would, I would not even consider being an artist today if I knew that that's the way that music was being digested, you know, and that there's no, so much, it would be so much more difficult to just get yourself through. So I feel like that to me is the one thing that's kind of sad about it. I think everybody should have an opportunity to make music and write music and, and do and, and love music. But I don't think everybody should have the opportunity of like releasing music because the most, they're not there anymore to like say no. I mean, I had to go through as an artist, every record label said no to me. They all came to see me play everybody from DreamWorks to J records. That's just Clive's to Atlantic to Capitol. And they all passed. The only person, the label that, didn't come and see me was Warner Music. And they signed me. And I think they signed me based on not seeing me play. I knew I could get there, but those were the gatekeepers. They kept yeah, yeah. me out. Like, not yet. You're not ready. You're not ready. Those guys are gone. It's an interesting perception. So I yeah. love this game. My recipients don't don't always enjoy it. And I recognize okay. if I had to, to ask you this question in two days, two hours, two weeks, that I know your answer will be different every single time I ask this question. And I understand okay. that because there are thousands of them. Okay. So if you had to play five songs by other artists once we finish this interview, what would those songs be and by whom? Um, oh man, God, that's a great question. Um, hey Jude, uh, Jude Beatles, um, Bugles, um, uh, what's the song? Uh, Radio Killed the Video, Video Killed the Radio yes. Star, um, Little Red Corvette, Prince. 
Two more. Let me let me brainstorm here. She's always a woman to me. Is that Billy Joel? Is that the lyric? Yes. She's always a woman to me. Yes, exactly. Um, and then something fun. Uh, here's a weird one. Um, and that's because right now I'm a huge fan of uh, the clampdown from The Clash. Okay. So it's a punk song. You wouldn't work on a piano, but <laughs> there's certain songs like that all these different genres, I, I res- they resonate with me. So as much as I play the piano, I'm a massive Clash fan. So. Okay, cool. We're looking forward to all the new stuff that's coming out shortly, but the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? Just... What an honor it is that's, you know, that you, you guys still want to hear from me. I mean, I would just say it's just been such a pleasure for me to be where I am and I'm grateful. And I hope that there's people out that you're listening to that have a wonderful, blessed, grateful, gratitude life that I've been able to, you know, that I've, that I've had up to this point. I love everybody. You know, I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed to be able to like really authentically want to be here with you today. And that's a blessing. <laughs> 